podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Extra transfer rumor show. I am your host Justin Wells, and uh, well, we got ourselves uh, a, an action-packed show. Even though there's not a ton of action on the transfer market due to the World Cup, uh, joining me is uh, the co-host of the Faceoff Pod, and now also the co-host of this pod, Tadiwa Chanakira. Tadiwa, how's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad yourself. Uh, it, you know, it's a uh, it's a nice sunny day in New York. Uh, great weather for the weekend. And uh, lots of uh, good World Cup football on. I mean, at the moment, as of the time in which we're recording this, um, Argentina and Iceland are playing a game within which Iceland is getting the tactics spot on. I don't know if you have that game in the background at all, but uh, what are your thoughts on the early World Cup? Yeah, I definitely have it on the background, so I have half an eye on that one as well. Um, I think it's been quite interesting to see... Uh, the, it seems like a lot of the big teams are struggling to break down some of these quite stalwart... Uh, team. So I think a lot of teams have gone into this thinking, we know we're not, we don't necessarily have the best players, but we sure as hell are going to be organized. So it's on the big teams to try and break them down. So it's, it's quite an interesting tactical battle. I, I, I happen to agree. I mean, you've seen a bunch of games like this, and uh, thus far we, we saw one where it was actually kind of a smash and grab. I don't know if you want to call Morocco a big team, but there's actually some talent in that side, and uh, a player that we've actually been linked with in, in uh, Zayic. Uh, I mean, tentatively, and I think it's probably just through a pitch of people who are trying to find replacements should the Fakir deal fall through, which we'll certainly get into today. But other than the Spain-Portugal game, it has been a lot of just tactical sitting around and waiting for uh, you know some, something to break. Uh, we saw it in the France-Australia game. We saw it in Egypt and Uruguay. And you know, I think it's going to be kind of the par for the course while some of these, and I hate using the term, minnows, uh, you know, are going against the heavyweights. Yeah, I think it might also even become more interesting when I think the next World Cup is going to be about 48 teams, hey? So maybe some of these games might be a bit more competitive for the, as you said, the minnow teams, so to speak. Hopefully they spread the groups out quite nicely and make it a bit more competitive for them um, so that they could maybe reach the later stages. In terms of um, the likes of Zayek and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you in terms of it's people clutching at straws, sort of trying to generate more more transfer talk, uh, considering the stuttering of the Fakir deal. Um, but bear in mind, he, he is an exciting player. He's still quite raw being a young player, but I'm sure there are going to be a lot of young players that are going to sort of stamp their, their mark on the world during this World Cup. So that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. And this is a good time to bring in our guest while talking about young players. We brought in a KG vet of Anfield Index for you, my uh, my partner on the U.S. pod, and all-around good guy, Kev Haggerty. Kev, how's it going? Hey, Justin. It's been a little while since I've been on a podcast. It's also the first time I've spoken to you, um, different from our billions of messaging services that we use to talk to each other. So I want to say congratulations on the nuptials. 
Um, and to Diwa, congratulations on another podcast. Uh, Face Off Podcast is great, and uh, I'm happy to be your guest today. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, let, let's get into the meat of this. So, as we mentioned, the transfer market has itself stalled a bit, but there is there are some things while player transfers that are occurring. There's obviously some unsettling uh, positions at the top of clubs, and I think we're going to use this show to kind of go into that, uh, particularly our rivals. If you look, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, all have some uncertainty around who's managing. I mean, let's, let's, I think it's less Spurs about the uncertainty around who's managing them, but their approach to how they move forward. But uh, let, let's start with Chelsea, uh, Tadiwa. You've obviously, everybody's seen a lot of talk where Antonio Conte is obviously on his way out. Uh, reports are saying that Chelsea is uh, currently trying to negotiate a severance package. What do, you, what do you make of that? And then also, what do you make of the uh, list of targets that we've we've heard, in, in, uh, in particular, Sarri and uh, Laurent Blanc? Yeah, I think uh, it, it's kind of been sort of foregone cl- conclusion that Conte is on the way out. And it sort of started uh, at the end of last season with the whole Costa saga. And look at the way Costa played last night. I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans would be sort of ruining the the, the way he left. But uh, it seems he, he sort of clashed with the guys upstairs with regards to transfers and sort of how he runs his team. I think at Chelsea, be, being a club where they have a high rotation of managers, I think they're more reliant on their director of football being the one that does their transfers. Um, you can imagine how chaotic it would be if they had to constantly rely specifically on managers to do the transfers, considering every two years, so to speak, they have a new manager. So I think Conte sort of had a few clashes with that and the styles of players that they were trying to bring in. And this obviously led to quite a turmoil season for them. I mean, he had a bust-up with David Luiz, which sort of uh, split the dressing room. And ever since then, there's sort of been uh, specific players like the Williams. I mean, William had a fairly decent season, but you could see he wasn't playing a lot because he sort of went on the David Luiz camp of things. So there, there were a lot of players, sort of a lot of in-house fighting. They're now trying to move forward. You know, they would have loved to see the back of this season. They ended up, you know, not making Champions League. They're thinking, okay, fresh start, new season. We're building a new stadium. Um, we're going to get more investment this season. Then all of a sudden, that all grinds to a halt with uh, the Abramovich news with regards to his uh, visa being sort of uh, maybe held up. Um, I'm not sure if it was officially denied, but sort of held up and which led him to withdraw it. And you can see the ramifications of that already with regards to they had planned to bring Sari in, as you mentioned. And as soon as sort of that all all that mayhem started to happen, all of a sudden, Chelsea were now refusing to pay his uh, release clause from Napoli. And that sort of put um, put him on alert because, I mean, Napoli had already agreed a deal for Carlo Ancelotti to replace him. And now there was a bit of mayhem with whether or not uh, Sarri is going to be coming to Chelsea. I, it does seem like it's going to be inevitable that he will go there. But, um, yeah, it, it just doesn't seem right at the moment at Chelsea. So it will be interesting to see how they deal with all of this. In terms of Laurent Blanc, um, there have been tentative inquiries into him. He, he's, he, his worry, though, was he wants more of a guarantee that he's going to get a bit more time 
to to actually mold the team into what he wants it to be. He's worried about the high turnover, as I mentioned earlier. So um, he, he's one they're, they're they're sort of keeping on on the sidelines, but uh, they they're going to have to promise him longevity if he ends up coming. And Kev, I guess the idea is. What do you make of the fact that Chelsea would be going for a manager, rumored to be going for a manager like Conte, who obviously structured, you know, it's a very structured, organized defensive squad side to someone like Maurizio Sarri, who is far more attacking. I mean, I don't know how much Serie A you watch, but Napoli also having been in both the Champions League and then the Europa League later, later in the season, uh, and also just, you know, really pushed Juve down the stretch, uh, they were, they were a fun attacking side to watch. And I guess the question is, do you think that maybe this is Chelsea coming in line with how the rest of the league is starting to see the game being more attacking than defensive? I think so, absolutely. Um, yeah, Napoli was a bit disappointing in Europe, but they're excellent in, in Italy. Um, and Sari is a manager that, uh, a manager in the Premier League that could do a lot of damage. But I mean, as, you were saying and, and what Tadiwa like alluded to, Chelsea's team has been set up to be very structured, very defensive for years and years and years now. They made the attempt to play more like, uh, fluid and attacking football when they did the, they did the VS Boss experiment. Um, and I think they, I think Abramovich has kind of always wanted to go that way. He's done with the pragmatic approach of Mourinho and, and others like him, which brought a lot of success. But, um, I think the way that the, the league, especially the way the Premier League is going is it's, it's a lot of all attacking. And then, you know, you better make sure you have some, some, professionals who can play the game at the back as well you know otherwise you end up with a terrible goal difference but um but yeah sorry's a a manager that could that definitely worries me a little bit coming to the premier league but i think it will take him time because um he won't have the players that he needs there aside from hazard who's a great attacking player obviously and um you know, and as you guys mentioned, William is a player I've always liked. Um, he's getting on now. Um, but the rest of the structure is sort of set up to be um, defense first, attack later. It's sort of still in that Marino mold of let me get my defense set. Let me get my stars be my, you know, my goalkeeper and my defense and my defensive midfielders and then have individual talents up front that could um, that can do some damage. And that's still how he's playing at United, that he's always set up his teams like that. Um yeah, so it, I think it's going to take him time. It's funny that every couple of years you kind of have this manager merry-go-round chaos, and it just it's fun when it happens to other teams and not ours. Um, but yeah, sorry, a, um, uh, it's definitely a good target for them. Obviously, he's one of the better managers in the world, and just watching Napoli this, the past couple seasons is, is showing what he could do with with a little bit of talent, and if he gets a bit more budget, who knows? Um, Lauren Block is a weird one. I think it's just sort of a um, that's sort of like their, like, you know, when you're applying for colleges and you have a safe school, that, that's sort of their, uh, their safe school. Um, I think if they, if some, for some reason, sorry, who is under contract still with Napoli, even though they've signed Angelotti to start on July 1st, I believe, um, or the end of this month, um, I think they just went, yeah, if we can't get all these guys, then, then we'll just bring Blanc in, um, cause he's a name and, you know, he could, you know, he could set up a team and then we'll work on somebody else. Um, but yeah, sorry worries me, but I don't think next year he worries me. Now, I guess the question I want to ask the both of you about the Chelsea job is because of that high level of turnover. 
and obviously you have managers who want to seek some assurances with it. Do you think that the job is actually viewed as a particularly good job? I mean, obviously it probably pays well because Abramovich is a very rich man who obviously spends a lot of money on his side. But do you think it's actually like a really pined after job within Europe um, to do it? Um, I think the benefit for Chelsea at the moment is the fact that a lot of the managers are. Tr- um, it seems like they they're trying to apply their tried in the Premier League. It's sort of you know when you look at leagues and you look at sort of uh, star players within one league. If you look at the, from a manager's perspective, the Premier League sort of has like a, a a who's who of managers as well. I mean, even at the bottom of the table, Newcastle have Rafa Benitez, so it's quite a competitive league in terms of managers. So. Uh, it could be a situation where you know you're coming into you know uh, one of the top six clubs, uh, respectively speaking, um, one of the top six clubs in England, and you do get some sort of you know um, financial backing. If, even if uh, Abramovich was to let's say um, forego the, the the big spending this this transfer window, just look at the amount of players that Chelsea have out on loan. I mean, it's, I think it was over 20 players that they had out on loan last season. So, you know, if that money from Abramovich isn't coming, you still have that, you know, reliance in, I could sell all 20 of those and easily come up with, um, 80 or so million, which I could then use to, to, to bolster my squad. Um, I think it will be difficult. It's, it, I think a lot of managers might hesitate with it at the moment just to see how it pans out next season. Whether um, whether Abramovich is still going to be interested, you know, um, or even whether the likes of Hazard and stuff are going to stay, because I think that's going to be quite a tricky thing to 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 try and accomplish. Yeah, and, and I think that part of where Chelsea goes is, I think they need some overall organizational stability in the long run. Um, Mourinho seemed to give it to him for a short period of time and gave him an identity. I, you know, we alluded to it. I guess it's effectively whether or not they're going to try to find a way to switch identity and actually stick with it and become an attacking side. But Kev, what are your, you know, the same question to you. Do you make that this job is actually one that's uh, pined after? Uh, pined after? I mean, it's a bit of a poison chalice, this place. Um, I don't see how you, like as Tadu was saying for for Blanc, is he wants this assurance of, you know, he needs time to build a team and blah, blah. You don't get that at Chelsea. You get a couple of years, maybe. Um, it's just, you know, Obramovich's play thing. And, and that being said, he looks like he's getting a little bored of it. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a pined after job anymore. It may have been like a few years ago, but now as Tadiwa said, it's about being in the Premier League. It seems like we're in this sort of purple patch of managers in the Premier League. If you just look at the top, you know, five, six teams and, and they're, some of the best managers in the world and, and some upcoming managers who, who could be the best managers in the world. And, and I think everybody just wants to be here. And, and then on top of that, it, there's, you know, the, the money is the, sort of the cherry on top and, and the, the ability to buy in the transfer market is it, you know, is, is another perk of the job. But I think it's more the Premier League than it is Chelsea. I'm sure Sari wants to apply his trade at you know at the next level or the next big league um whether that's us or or germany or spain is debatable but right now the premier league has an open position so everybody's sort of like let me try it you know i bet you i can do some damage there 
Yeah, and I think it's also an easier job to get a team back into the top four than it is to try to win the title, as we know. Um, but I guess, uh, although for Chelsea, maybe it's actually easier to win the title and then finish outside the next season. But uh, I guess the other question I want to ask, and this is going to go slightly off script, is is it even maybe just bringing managers with some pedigree into England? Because during the course of this week, we saw um, Marcelo Bielsa get the job at Leeds, which you know haven't been in the Premier League for quite a bit. It is a side that has a, a big stadium and a, and a big support base. I guess the question is, you know, is there some cachet just attached to right now managing in England? Is English, you know, is the English league structure, not the actual, not English really, English football, is that actually something that is on the rise? And I guess, Tadiwa, I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, I think it's certainly arguably more competitive in terms of, there's a lot more teams that you could lose to on any given day. And you sort of, you've seen even in the likes of when Pep Guardiola came in in his first season, some of those, he thought maybe these ones I can, you know, rest a few players because I've had a Champions League game midweek. You do that at your own peril in the Premier League. And then if you look at the championship itself, that's quite a bullish league. And it, if you, if you see the way it's going, you know, as as owners of of some of these clubs, they're looking at it as if we bring in the right type of manager. You've seen with uh, with Wolves, they've brought in you know a uh, high profile manager, so to speak. They've brought in high profile players, and that's led them you know to a Premier League promotion, which is invaluable in terms of finances for for any club. So I think it all comes down to finances, really. Um, it's it's the it's arguably the most financed league in in world football, and especially considering, well, we'll see changes now, but especially considering how the TV deal earlier was a bit more generous towards the lower clubs, um, that's an attractive thing for, for any manager. You know, you could come into a club that's in the bottom half of the Premier League and know you're going to still have a, a fairly decent transfer kitty to to at least do something. So um, it's it's an exciting league to be, uh, to be in everyone sort of watches the Premier League. So you will have eyes on you, even uh, not just for, let's say, if you're coming into one of the lower lower teams, you know, like sort of what Marco Silva did at uh, Hull, where you can come in, make a name for yourself in one of those smaller teams and then move up to a bigger team, either in the Premier League or go overseas. So it's also a very good, you know, um, window for you to to be seen by everyone around the world. I think it also has to do with, especially with Bezla, uh, Bielsa going and, um, you know, and Nuno coming up with, um, Wolves. As Tadiwa said, it is a way to make a name for yourself. And I actually think that Benitez might have had some of, uh, the impact on that, staying with Newcastle when they went down, setting them up to come back up, winning, you know, arguably the, the most expensive move in, in the world, which is the championship to the Premier League. And, um, and then coming to the Premier League and still making a name for yourself. So these, I think these managers just want to be in England and they can go, you know, if, if Bielsa gets leads into the Premier League and then somebody like, I don't know, I don't want to say Everton, but somebody would go like, uh, sort of a mid-table team is like, okay, we can use this guy. And then if he makes a name for himself there, then, you know, he's next in line for whoever, Spurs, Arsenal, whoever it is. Um, so it, it, I think it's just a matter of getting to England and showing England that you can do, um, you can do the job. It, it's, it's sort of odd the way, especially in the championship, they tend to stick with British managers. I understand it's a very different league to navigate, but 
you know, it's shown with uh, a continental manager and a bit of money, you can kind of run the league. So um, I think that might be changing a little bit down there. Yeah. Now, the one thing I do take exception with is that Marco Silva has taken a step up. The Everton job is a step up from nothing. I just want to make <laughs> that very clear. Uh, but moving on to a side where a manager was, you know, has been rumored to make it, to want a particular step up. Uh, and the step that he wanted seemed to be open, but he didn't take it. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Mauricio Pochettino has signed a new contract till 2023. Harry Kane is extended for quite a bit of time as well. He signed another six years to 2024. I guess the question is, you know, Spurs seem to be at this point fielding and saying, we've got our core. We're going to supplant around this. Um, what do we, what do we think of their core? And what do we think of the fact, you know, is Pochettino really there for the long haul? If the real job comes up again, is it this time, the second time he would take it? It's just this time he just can't out of. You know, loyalty to the new contract he's you know just signed. So, Tadiwa, what are your feelings there? I'm um, suppose will be quite interesting this transfer window. Uh, as you've mentioned, they they seem to be tying down a lot of their their valuable assets. Um, even the likes of Harry Winks, so to speak, in midfield, he's got a new contract. Davison Sanchez, who he already came last season, and yet he's got a you know bumper deal. So. It seems they're using their transfer kitty more to securing their assets for the future or even the value of their assets. Let's say if someone were to come in for Harry Kane now, you can just imagine what Levy will be will be asking for. And to be fair, for for a club that doesn't necessarily have the resources of, let's say, the cities and stuff, this is a tactic that you can use of we've we've done well to get a, a, a core group of young players, hungry players together. So instead of going out and trying to, you know, buy new players, let's first secure the players we have. And then we can always add just one or two pieces um, going forward. In, in terms of Pochettino, I think I think that Real Madrid job, he will if, if it wasn't for him signing that new contract, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have been really keen to go um but then you'd have to take into consideration that real madrid would be dealing with levy and it, i can just imagine what he, he would be asking for from real madrid to you know to let someone like pochettino go and he's a smart enough man to know that pochettino is doing a really good job there at spurs um i think in terms of tactically pochettino played his cards very well towards the end of the season he sort of forced uh, spurs to back him by saying you know it, it he can only take the club so far in terms of you know because obviously the questions are now coming up of he hasn't won a trophy when's he going to win that title when are they going to get it over the line and you can see those questions are going to keep um get getting louder as the as the years go by uh, in terms of development, it seems like he's developing his players really, really well. I mean, look at the fullbacks, the way he develops fullbacks and the way he's been able to manage the likes of Harry Kane, etc. He's, he's done a good job and he's, those players seem to always be uh, improving season on season. So from a developmental uh, point of view, I think Spurs will be happy to, to keep him. And if, if they then start looking at the, we need to start winning trophies, that's the, that's then going to become quite tricky, and it'll be interesting to see whether he can weather that storm and for how long he can weather that storm. And Kev, I guess also you know a similar question to you, but let me just throw a twist into this. Uh, 
Spurs are building basically their core. We've seen them now actually be uh, rumored to place a very, very high price tag on Toby Alderweireld, who's apparently also now may, may, might want to stay. Where can they really, with their core, actually improve? And what is the move that they would need to make in order to you know, make Pochettino committed to when the next time the Real Madrid job invariably opens up? Because it seems like it opens up every other year. Um, well, it's a couple of places. So if Alderweireld goes, uh, I know they have a high price tag on him, but I believe he has a couple of weeks get out, doesn't he, in his contract? at the end or something like within a two week window, it's like 30 million or something like that. Um, but he may stay. I mean, their defense is very, very good. Um, obviously the structure is very, very good. And the core, as you guys alluded to, is very, very good. Um, they need backup for Kane. Um, they need uh, a Dembele uh, replacement or at least somebody to rotate with him. He's very important to that setup um, and he's getting on now. And I don't know how much longer he's going to want to be there anyway. Um, you know, you know, Deli Ali is still developing and getting better. And, uh, you know, Son is a great player, I think. And, um, there's, as you said, the fullbacks are excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of places where they, it, it, it's more, so they tire at the end of every season and you could see it in the champions league and in the league, um, you know, season over season, it's more about, um, sort of padding the squad and making sure they have a bigger squad, which is a bit of our problem, but I think we're in a, a little bit better position than they are. Um, and also we're in a little bit better position because we tend to pay more wages than them, not much more, but we do pay more. Um, and I think that's their problem in recruitment, which is, um, you know, the wage demands have gone up so much um, that they're, I think they're having problems targeting the players that are going to come to them and, and maybe keeping hold of the ones they have. And I think they may be, this season or this summer was about holding on to that core and maybe they are paying a little bit more to the core because they know if they lose them, they got to start over. And if they do make a couple of like really shrewd signings this summer, Pochettino, obviously he's staying, he signed a new contract, um, but he may stay a bit longer. I just see him going in the next two years. Um, he seems a pretty stand up guy as far as a manager. He'll probably, honor a large portion of the contract i'm curious if he has a sort of get out clause in there or what the buyout is um but i agree with to do i think he uh, he probably would have went to madrid if they had approached him before the contract i just think he's more of a um spurs kind of gave him his big jump and his big break you know others obviously saints was everybody kind of took an eye like had an eye on him when he was doing well at saints but spurs has kind of put him on the world stage now and um, so I think if Madrid comes back in a couple of years, cause they eventually, you know, they obviously will need a new manager in a couple of years cause they always do. Uh, he'll go and he's an Espanol guy, so he's not going to go to Barcelona. Um, so it's, I think in a, if they don't win anything in a couple of years, certainly, um, if they don't sign, if they don't sign some more players to fit around their core, he'll certainly go, but obviously he's going to do a good job. Um, I'm curious as what their budget is like with the, in the move to the new stadium and, um, and if they are planning on increasing wages across the board, they're an interesting team. Um, but for now, they're going to be a pain in our butt. Um, uh, but hopefully they don't add enough to to uh, to end their tiredness at the end of every every season because we see it every year. Yeah, and speaking of which, one of the players that's been uh, linked to leave is a player who seems to always play his best against us, which is Musa Dembele. He seems to be China-bound. But I guess the question is around how they're going to replace him. 
Uh, it seems as if they've been linked with Andre Gomez, so I don't think it's a straight for straight, a like for like switch. Um, and then, uh, Ndombele from Leon, who is a really, really nice young player who, uh, you know, I, I watched Leon a little bit this, uh, this season because I, you know, just, uh, found myself very bored and watching them on TV. The French League is not exactly the most entertaining thing possible and thought that he was a player who really stood out. Leon in general have a bunch of really good young players who stood out, you know, obviously Fakir being the one that we're interested in. But what do you guys make of the uh, the attempt to probably just get a little bit more youth into that midfield as as Dembele is pushing 30 and has played a lot of minutes? Yeah, I think um, they they sort of flagged that up as well in the sense of it looks like Dembele has been sort of um, angling for a move. He, his agent has sort of sent flyers uh, around to sort of see if anyone is interested. And that was obviously the the trigger for Spurs to now sort of concretely start looking for a replacement for him. Uh, in terms of Dembele himself, he I've gone on the record and saying he's one of, if not arguably the, uh, well, my favorite player to watch live. In terms of, I know he plays for a, you know, for a rival team, but in terms of the the authority he commands on a football pitch is incredible. And then I might also be a little bit biased because my girlfriend is a Spurs fan, so I end up having to go to quite a few of their games. And it just seems like everyone around the pitch, the first person they look at, um, interestingly enough, is not Harry Kane in terms of when they've got the ball and they're in trouble. The first person anyone in that team ever looks at is Musa Dembele and where is he on the pitch and how can I get the ball to him, which is quite an interesting dynamic. I never noticed sort of watching him on the TV, but when you go watch the games, you can see sort of the the respect he, he garners from all the Spurs players. So it, it will be quite a massive, massive loss for them if, if he does end up leaving in terms of who then becomes that out ball in midfield, the player that they can rely on. Um, Harry Winks has signed a new contract. He could be a replacement, but he's also had a few injury niggles and, and problems throughout not just this season, but um, for a couple of seasons now. So I don't know if they would be comfortable fully relying on him. Um, the, the guys you've mentioned, Gomez, I think, yeah, they, 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 they seem to have sort of kept an eye on him for quite a while. Um, yeah, definitely won't be a like-for-like Musa replacement, but maybe they could be looking, you know, to change their playing style to, to accommodate him coming in. In terms of Ndombele, I think that would probably be a more like-for-like replacement. Obviously still quite young, so still quite raw, but he's sort of the, the ball carrying strong young uh, central midfielder that could actually be quite quite useful for them. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they play that one. So the, the the replacement was out there, and he signed for us last summer for fifty million pounds, right? So <laughs> it's Navi Keita, and he's coming into us. He, yes, he's so is. good with the ball; <laughs> he never loses the ball. He's a he's a dribbler probably just as good as Dembele, if not better. And he's got a little bit more to his game. Oh, he's a better, pa- um, he's a much, be- much better passer. Uh, yeah. He's much better. Pa- he's a goal scorer as well. The one, th- he, the one thing he about- still has that strong hold the ball. You'll never get it off me. Dribbling ability that Dembele has, and it makes Spurs tick. And that's what they need to replace. Yeah. It's the one thing that Dembele doesn't quite give that Kato will is um, Dembele for as good as he is, is just not a particularly great attacking player. Right. Right. Um, Kato is, but, uh, 
you know, Spurs have still also been rumored to be buying some depth, um, in particular some uh, some English talent that I guess the real question isn't whether or not these players are actually worth a punt because both of them are pretty good. But I guess the question is, how much are they really worth? And I'm talking about Jack Grealish from Villa, who have asked for about 30 million pounds, and Wilfried Zaha, who Palace apparently want 50 million plus pounds. Uh, my personal feeling is that they're both good players. I, I think Zaha's a much better player than Grealish, but I wouldn't touch either of them at those prices. Um, how about you guys? <laughs> I mean, is, is that money, is that money that you'd actually spend? No. <laughs> I mean, the, I think the, the, the difference in prices is right for those two players. I think, you know, Zaha is, is a better player than Grealish, but, um, I don't know if this is the new normal. I think they're still going off last summer's prices. <laughs> like they're like, well, Zaha's really talented. We can probably get 50 million for him if Neymar costs, you know, half a billion. Then, but I think they're, I think everybody went, whoa, whoa, whoa last summer was a little crazy. And the prices have increases, increased because of that inflation, but not that much. Um, I wouldn't touch either of them for those prices. Yeah, and you know the final thing that Spurs have been linked with is a player that I really want, who's Matthias Delict. I guess the question is, yeah. does, does you know keeping just keeping Toby prevent him from signing him? I don't think so, and that's a player who I'd really want to be into to partner with Van Dyke because you get that rare combination of two top flight sit defenders who would also be partnering each other in the center of midfield for club and country, which just allows you to build a tremendous amount of chemistry. I mean, to do, uh, yeah. I, I can't, I, I'd like to hear what you think on this, but I think the answer itself is pretty straightforward. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if a talent like Delict is available, you sort of kind of sign him and then you can fit him into the team. Um, uh, and you can decide how he fits into the team later on. Uh, he is one of the most coveted, you know, young center backs out there. Um, I think Ajax are sort of, Reluctant to lose him, but they know there's going to be a bidding war. There are few defenders that are going to be moving uh, around some of the big clubs in Europe. And if you look at the amount of teams that need centre-backs, even in the Premier League alone, I mean, you look at Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, if Alderweireld goes, arguably Man United also could do with one. If, you know, if uh, if Chelsea... Uh, are looking to, you know, start from the back as they usually always do. They could be looking at, you know, a replacement for Cahill, a younger replacement for him. Um, so it, it, it seems like as, as well, we have to note that Juventus are, you know, they at the moment seem to be the most, uh, keen club, so to speak, for Delift. So there are a handful of clubs that are going to be keen for him. I think any club he goes to, it, it's going to be, it's going to be beneficial to that club. He's going to, he's going to do well. He's quite young. He's got time to grow, but already he seems like such a, such an astute player, which you don't get very often from young center backs. You know, center backs tend to, to hit their primes a lot later than the other, the other on-field players. They're sort of around 28 to 32 is sort of their peak years. Whereas everyone else is sort of looking about 25 years going up. Uh, so to have someone that's already that good at that age. And if you can just imagine what he could become later on, it's quite a scary, scary thought. Yeah. I just don't want to play against a defense. It's going to have him and, uh, Davidson Sanchez both coming into their prime. At the same time, also because once again, those are two defenders who have known each other from their time at Ajax, right? I think having central defenders who know each other is extremely important. 
But um, speaking, we're, we're going to go to the other side, North London, and talk about them. Uh, you know, obviously, they don't have anything resembling a central defender. And, uh, you know, last week we mentioned Socrates, but Arsenal apparently want to bring in two central defenders. I guess the question is, what can they what can they do? Um, we've heard, we've seen uh, David Luiz linked to them. Does David Luiz really solve anybody's defensive frailties, I guess is the question. Uh, and... You know, with Arsenal, how how big is the rebuild of that defense, and what do they need to do uh, to do it? Let's start with you here. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they they need a a complete overhaul of that defense. Uh, I think it's something that Wenger sort of didn't put as much value in as maybe the Arsenal fans might have liked, and which is one of the reasons that probably led to his demise at Arsenal. Um, if you look at Unai Emery, I think the David Luiz link, they, they, they sort of did a tentative bid for him, didn't they? I think around 18 million it was quoted or rumored. And I think it's sort of getting someone in that I've, that, that, that I've seen. I, I know what he's, what he's like. He's got that experience in the Premier League. Also a player that, um, wouldn't necessarily, um, demand such a high fee considering he's on the outs at Chelsea already, you know, you can't really demand a high fee for a player that you've basically blacklisted at the club. So it, it, it in terms of uh, settling in, it could be a smart move, but in terms of actually addressing the problems that they have, uh, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, Socrates, honestly, I'm, they can sign him. I'm not really worried. From what I've seen from the defensive links Arsenal have had, I'm really not worried uh, about what they're doing at the moment, which is quite scary because my best friend is an Arsenal fan and I'm always worried about Arsenal in terms of Wenger always seemed to be able to pull something out of the bag, whereas this time around, I genuinely don't know how they're going to fare without him. Yeah, and I guess also the the thing that we're starting to learn about Unai Emery is that without Manchi, he might not have necessarily the greatest eye for talent of we saw that he didn't know how to deploy a large segment of that PSG team in the Champions League, and it, and it really cost him, you know, two years where they just, you know, kind of lacked the, the metal to get over the line and really capitulated in big games. Uh, but I guess, uh, you know, they've, they've also signed Lucas Torreira, which does address an issue that they've had, or seemingly have signed Lucas Torreira, which, uh, you know, Resolves an issue they've had in the in the middle of in, in the middle of the midfield, in particular with you know some steel and defense and in defensive midfield. Um, Kevin, I, I kind of want to get the you know the question of how do you improve Arsenal's shield in their defense and is Torreira the right start? Um, yeah, Arsenal. Uh, Emery's got a big job ahead of him, and that's partially down to Wenger. Uh, well, actually, it's a lot down to, <laughs> to Wenger. Um, yeah, Torreira's good, a good player. Uh, I think he's got a pretty decent ceiling because he's, he's still pretty young. Um, he's not like a – to call it steel is sort of, you know, I don't know if that's the right word I'd use because he's more of a, a playmaker from deep than he is like um, sort of a defensive midfielder in the Vanyama molds where he's just like – I'm just going to run back and forth and and knock the ball out of people's out of people's feet and you know start the attack the other way. Um, it is a thing that they needed, um, but I still think if they're going to play him, they still need another one. They're still going to need the actual shield um, to get the ball back and play in a double pivot. I'm not sure how Emery's going to play with Arsenal, but um, but if they if they Torreira 
basically addresses half the problem rather than all of it. I think anyway. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. He, he obviously he was great with Monchi. I, th- I do believe Emery's a good coach. Um, he has uh, what's his face, Mislin Stat, the guy from Dortmund. I kind of can't remember his name. Mislin Stat, yeah. Mislin Stat, yeah. Um, who does have a good, seems seemingly has a good eye for talent. Um, so that that's a benefit for them. Arsenal's completely restructured now, so I have no no idea what to expect from them. They have so many different parts to the system now, whereas it used to be Wenger was, um, you know, 80% or 90% of the, the control, the controlling stake. Um, yeah, just to circle back to David Luiz, I would sign him for 18 million pounds. I mean, he's not going to make, it was funny when you guys were talking about the Arsenal defense, I was sitting here trying to think of who their center backs were <laughs> and I still didn't come up with them. Um, but, uh, I would sign David Luiz for 18 million pounds. I, I don't think that's a, uh, especially in this market i don't think that's a big loss he's he's a winner he's certainly a talented footballer i don't know if he's the right center back depending on how you want to set your system up but uh yeah they they need a lot of work i'm not too concerned with socrates he's a decent defender as well um but i mean until miss and stat stops just going back to his former team um then we'll we'll kind of see what they what they can do over there uh again i think arsenal like Chelsea uh, need a couple of years. Yeah, but I think we also. Oh, sorry, sorry, Justin. Yeah, I think ahead, we do ahead. have to to take into consideration that their front line is probably set. So he sort of it's one of those. Dude, you have one job. Like just sort out the defense. I mean, you've got Lacazette and Aubameyang, Özil feeding the ball to them, Keita Ryan there as well, and then you know Ramsey has been playing well for them. It it just seems like all like. Just sort your defense out. Is it? I don't know if it, is it that hard to do, or well, I've seen we've we sort of seen managers sort of do that approach of let me sort the attack out first, and we've seen that with Klopp. In he sorted out our attack first, and it's only now, so to speak, where he's starting to really sort out the defense. We've seen the Fabinho signing in terms of that shield. We've seen the Cater, who's that dogged um, midfielder, the Van Dijk signing. Um, so is it that that type of situation where it's really hard to sort out a defense, or I don't know what you guys think. I don't think it's as much sorting out the. I think it's partly that. I think Arsenal have just had a lot of trouble controlling games, um, really since basically the injury and decline of Santi Cazorla. Like I yeah. think that was really the 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 driver of kind of of Arsenal's overall form into the ground, and I think that it's kind of just manifested itself in showing that like the rot in the rest of the side because having a midfield who can control games. Covers up a lot of, uh, covers up a lot of ills. And like that, that's kind of where I stand on it. But now, I, I mean, I think it basically, it's the once he's gone, once, once he left the side, basically sunlight was the best disinfectant for them as far as how to move forward, where you got yeah, to he's see, like, seeing all the flaws allows you to address them. He was like the metronome, right? So he, he either, he knew when to attack, he knew when to hold the ball. And once he declined, that was kind of it. And they still need that piece in midfield, which may be the Terrera signing. I haven't seen enough of him to know how good he is or how good he can be. Um, but yeah, I mean, and as to do, as you said, like on paper, their attack is like, Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but, but, at, but they're still super vulnerable at the back. And, and I mean, even signing David Louise, they're still going to be super vulnerable at the back. And I, I don't, I won't have a problem playing them, especially the way they play until they sort it out. Yeah. So, Let's move on to the side that we all like. Uh, 
Liverpool, obviously we've now spent 40 minutes of this podcast talking about our rivals, which means that it's been quite quiet for Liverpool. Um, the only thing that we've really seen is, uh, the Fakir saga drag on, um, a signing that as of this time last week seemed to be a not when, but not if, but when signing has now moved from a not when, but if signing. So I guess the question is, is it going quiet because of the fact that we're still in Fakir and this is just, you know, the, uh, the, you know, uh, Michael Edwards trying to get a better price out of Olas, or do we think that it's gone quiet because we might be moving on to our next target? Um, Tadiwa, give, give you that one to start with. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a calm with this one. I think maybe b- because I, I saw him more as a, a number 10, and it doesn't seem like we've been playing with a number 10, so I'm wondering if maybe Fabinho Cater and then with a 10, Klopp is possibly changing the system slightly for next season or perhaps giving us an option to change the system uh, next season. So um, our club hasn't given sort of an official statement with regards to whether we're still in for him or or what the situation is, which leads me to believe that we still are uh, going for him. Also the fact that you know, if if you look at me, the, the the whole medical situation, you know, I, I saw a lot of people sort of saying, you know, like, for example, he played for France today. And a lot of people are saying, well, he's playing for France, so how could he have failed the medical? And obviously, that's quite a elementary way of looking at it. If you look at the, the, the medical itself, it's not just talking about, we have to remember, it's not just talking about whether he can play 90 minutes or not. Liverpool also have to take into account the fact that the style of play of Lyon versus the style of play of Liverpool, we're going to be asking him to run a lot more. And what exactly does that do to, you know, the knee itself? Um, also looking at what also the, the way and tear that playing for Liverpool for, let's say, the, the, the rumour was he had signed a five-year contract. What would that do to the knee? And as a club like Liverpool, we have to also look at resale value, you know, going forward. We don't like to talk about it, but it is a factor that, they definitely will be considering when they're looking at signing him in the sense of if we sign him now, he's still a relatively young player. If he sees out the five years of his contract, you know, he's got one year left and we're looking to sell him. If we're now selling him and his knee is completely now, you know, absolutely the cartilage is gone. It's torn to shreds now where he's not, you know, the next medical he's going to have at that new club it's going to show that, you know, it's not worth signing him. So that also could be a factor. So I think it's just a case of Liverpool weighing all of that and saying, look, Leon, you guys are sort of have to going to lower the price, taking into consideration all of these factors. And not necessarily in the sense of, you know, we might be paying less. It might still be, let's say, if it's a 50 million fee. It's just a matter of now we're paying less upfront now, a lot more based on appearances, you know, uh, those type of add-ons that I think that's where the negotiation then broke down. And to be fair to Leon, I think they were right in from their perspective to then not rush that one. Because when you're looking at those uh, appearance-based uh, bonuses and, and clauses, I think it's fair for them to then now be given more time just to reassess that, see what they can play with. It, it, because especially they're a publicly traded company, a lot of those finances, when those finances come in, how often those finances come in, that plays a, a huge factor in, in, their, in their share price. 
So I di- the moment I saw that the medical, there was something wrong, I knew this transfer wasn't going to be done before the World Cup because Leon would need to now sit with their accountants, try and work out how this benefits them if the deal is still going to be done, which I do, I, I, I think it still will be done because there's been no indication to show that it won't be done. And we've seen when Klopp wants a player and when a player wants to come play for Klopp, um, it's not like Leon can start a bidding war with other clubs. No club's going to bid for him if they know he he he's determined to play for Liverpool. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it feels like it's very similar to the Van Dyke story from the beginning of last year, only being played much more smartly by Liverpool because of the fact that we haven't had to issue any sort of statement that's apologizing, which is always nice because we issue far too many of those. Uh, Kev, I guess the same question to you. How are, what are your feelings at this point on Fakir? I mean, this is kind of just going to I feel like be the uh, the running will he won't he of the uh, the summer at least until the World Cup is over. Yeah, I kind of wish we had got it done, and it would have been two huge signings two weeks in a row. Um, I'm weirdly calm about this, like to do. <laughs> I honestly think he's going to be our player before the summer's over. Um, I think this is a lot of posturing. Um, there probably is some renegotiating going on, and the th- thousands of things I saw on Twitter about Fakir failing the medical. Um, I. I, he didn't fail the medical. I don't think he failed the medical at all. Um, I think there was a red flag. So they got a second opinion and there was a flag there. So they were thinking about getting a third and, and so on and so on. Um, and it may be that they're worried about the future. Like to do as that, you know, it's, it's about not only signing good players, but protecting the value of those players just in case. And, um, so there probably is some renegotiating going on. Edwards seems a, a pretty shrewd guy. John Henry seems a pretty shrewd guy. Um, you know, they're and and Klopp as well. So they I think they're just sort of it's us versus us versus them back and forth. And and Olas wants to get you know now he looks like a winner right already. Um, you know he he said nothing will happen until after the World Cup and and now we're in the World Cup so we have to wait. Um, I have this sneaking suspicion he's going to be our player, though, after the World Cup is complete. Um, I'm not too, too worried about it. Um, there, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, there's some good insight into this on the Anfield Index Pro side on, uh, uh with Dave Hendricks' pod when he hit talking about Fakir, um, as to why he thinks it's going to be done. If, if you haven't had a chance, go listen to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not too. I'm not too worried about Fakir. It's an, again, it's annoying that it wasn't done already, and it's going to be the back and forth, like the Virgil Van Dyke issues. Uh, but I think this summer, by the end of the summer, he will he will be our player. And uh, so that's really all that's about, you know, kind of the incomings. Obviously, Allison Becker is probably not coming. It seems as if anything we were just using a smokescreen to drive uh, yeah. by Roma to drive the price up, but. Outgoing players, there's there's quite a few. There's actually a few rumors there of some players who are at least uh, going to leave or one that's already technically been, you know, Liverpool's already said he's gone as of July 1st. I guess the question is long rumored to be going to Juve, but now apparently maybe going to Manchester City, Emre, Emre Jean. Uh, how did, I mean, that him going to City for free like this will always rub me the wrong way if it happens. And a player who I really liked and saw us develop, if he goes to City like that, it's, it's just going to rankle me. Uh but I guess the question is, how, how would you guys feel about that? And do you really think that, you know, Emre gets into City side? I don't think he's getting in over Fernandinho. But I guess Tadiwa, you know, what are your thoughts there? Um, I think 
as as Liverpool fans, especially, I think we play way too much into this uh, starting eleven. Is he, you know, where, where is he going to fit into a team uh, sort of thing? If 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 you're Emery Chan and you're going into a you know a City team that if we're, if we're being creative, if we're being honest, City are going to be challenging for the title next season. You know, on paper, um, on paper they'll be challenging for the league. They'll definitely have priority for Champions League. So if you look at that sense, he's definitely going to get you know his minutes in. And I think it's it's a bench is a little more comfortable to sit on if you know that you're sitting for a champions, you know, a champion winning team or a title winning team. Uh, it, it it maybe starts to get a bit itchy when let's say if you're playing for for a club who isn't winning the trophies then it's sort of like why, well why am I here and why am I sitting on the bench in terms of um, him going to City yeah that that would really hurt I I really do love Emre uh, Chan I I love his style of football the way he plays football even the trajectory of where he's going as a footballer you only need to look at uh, the way they describe him in Germany, you know, the, I always find it interesting the way the, the, the German, you know, football community looks at footballers. It, it's so different to, to what we're used to. Even, you know, the whole debate of we were all very shocked that Leroy Sainer got left out of the team. Whereas if you look at Germ- um, the, the media in Germany, the talk in Germany, it, it really wasn't a surprise for them. And, and it, that's kind of hard for us to believe that, it wasn't a surprise that he got left out. Whereas for them, they knew it was a tactical thing. They needed a bit more of a defensive player. It makes sense for him to be left out. Um, once again, if you look at Emre Chan, the German, the German uh, medium sort of sees him as like, you know, the, the heir apparent, so to speak, of Tony Cruz. So for them to look at him that highly, you know, uh, for a lot of Liverpool fans, they'll probably laugh at that. You know, some fans love him, some fans hate him. I'm I'm not going to try and sway anyone on that on that argument. But for him to go to a rival, and on top of that, for him to go for free to a rival, really would hurt. But I think the interesting thing about this Emre Chan thing, um, with regards to Man City, is if you look at sort of the transfer um, merry-go-round, so to speak, with that position. Because, uh, you know, Jorginho was meant to be going to Man City. And the, um, with Jorginho going to Man City, that, w- that was what triggered Napoli to go for Torreya from Sampdoria. And because uh, they believed that he was going sort of, they, they had the talks with Torreya, he seemed to be heading to Napoli. And Jorginho was then going to head to, um, sorry, to, to Man City. And then there were sort of some, there's been some, um, some store or, you know, some back and forth with regards to the, the personal terms for Jorginho going to Man City. And that stalled that deal. And the moment that deal stalled, that obviously then stalled the Torreya deal. And Arsenal were very smart in then going in and sort of jumping ahead of Napoli, setting up a deal for Torreya. So now if Torreya then goes to Arsenal, and that now leaves uh, Napoli not very um, willing to let Jorginho go because they now have to then go look for a replacement again. So that's what's opened the door for City to look at Emre Chan. And um, if you look at it, Emre Chan could have uh, been announced by Juventus by now, and he should have been announced by Juventus by now. And the fact that he hasn't been announced yet 
is because of this. He's had this like pause of, oh, uh, this could actually be an option for me. And I wonder what that's going to do for Juventus because that's going to also leave Juventus hanging dry because they've sort of believed they've had him since January. So it's quite an interesting merry-go-round. And it'll be, um, I, I wonder how it's going to pan out. It's intriguing as to how it's going to pan out just because Emre is also such a, uh, you know, like you said, the he's he's seen still as such a player, a player with such immense potential. But he's coming into the point in time right now where he's going to need to really start delivering on it because, you know, he's entering his age twenty five season. Um, that prime has to start now, and you know, what better place to show it, especially if you're a midfielder who, you know, is rumored to be who, whose greatest potential is going to be driving forward in a possession oriented team. Where better to be than uh, Guardiola? who could maybe turn him into and use him in the same way that he developed Yaya Torre at Barcelona. But, you know, other... That outcomes, is a scary thought. It is a scary thought, oh but it's, it's... That is a scary it's, thought. It's, it's how, it's how uh, you know, it's the kind of player that Emre Jean really might be, is that, you know, that powerful driving forward midfielder. And, you know, Pep, Pep worked with that before. Pep got some, something really good out of it. And imagine what happens if Pep has one that he actually gets along with. You know, the, Yaya, Yaya, the, the relationship between Yaya and Pep is, was awful. And it remains awful. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the two of them cannot avoid taking shots at each other whenever they're, you know, through the media. Um, obviously, I think Yaya takes more shots at Pep than Pep takes at Yaya, but it's not, you know, it's not exactly as if either one of them is innocent of uh, instigating the other. But, you know, going into other outgoings, Daniel Sturridge obviously is going to leave the club, but we haven't really seen much about where he might actually be, you know, linked solidly. I mean, We've seen Besiktas in Newcastle. I guess the question is, which one of them fits him? I don't think that the Premier League is actually really a good destination for Sturridge. I think he needs to play in a slower-paced game. Kev, what do you think? No, I agree now, um, and it's disappointing because he's he's actually been one of my favorite Liverpool f- players over the past few years. Um, he's uh, it's a disappointment because he's he's also one of the more naturally gifted English players I've seen over the past, you know. A few years. I don't even know when. Like when is it, it's going to be hard to sell him? When is he fit? Is he fit now? I don't even know. Um, I don't even know if he's able to play. Uh, but it, I think England might be out of reach for him now. Uh, yeah. So he probably has to go abroad, where one he can play every week, but only once a week. Because um, I think if you listen to, uh, you know, Simon Brundish, that's sort of how he has to be managed. He needs to go to a place that understands his injury history and can work with it. And um, and he needs uh, to go to a place you're going to take care of him and not try to push him when he's not 100% because he, he does have this these recurring problems. Um, but we've seen when you manage him correctly, he can, he can play for long stretches. He can be healthy and he, he's available and he will score you goals. Um, I just, I, I don't know where he's going to go. Um, I don't think it'll be England. I, I wish him the best and, and, um, you know, th- thanks for some good memories kind of thing, kind of thing. And, uh, another player rumored to be on his way out. And obviously, you know, been rumored to be this way for a while. He's gone on quite alone quite a few times. Um, Lazar Markovic linked to Olympiakos. Um, Teddy, would you think that's a good landing spot for a player who's, you know, pretty much at this point, I think roundly we can say that that was a very, very, very big failure of, uh, of a transfer for a player who was really, really hyped when he came in. Oh yeah. When he came in, I mean, the hype around him was, was quite 
quite tremendous and it was it was exciting to to see that we had gotten a, a a winger who was direct you know not shy on the ball you know liverpool haven't really had that many type of direct wingers uh for quite a while so it it sort of seemed like he was solving a problem um i i don't know whether the the price tag got to him whether the move to england didn't suit him you you never know how these things pan out and i suppose that's the risk with spending so much on on young players is you you just don't know how it's going to turn out well even older players you don't know how it's going to turn out but more so the 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 younger players are probably um are probably going to have a a few more problems than the older ones Uh, i think it's a shame that it hasn't worked out for him at liverpool but there's obviously not a future for him here olympiacos it's a quieter club hopefully he goes there you know it will be a fresh start for him the fact that he always had that thing in the back of his head is um, that I'm going back to Liverpool after this loan because a lot of the loans, none of them really had concrete uh, buy options for after the loans. It was sort of just a, we're letting you go get some game time. You'll come back and then we'll reassess whether you can sell you. Oh, we can't sell you? Okay, we'll loan you out again type thing. Whereas now it will be a fresh start. Hopefully he can... Uh, refine himself, rediscover the type of footballer that he was meant to become. He doesn't necessarily have to become, you know, the best in the world, but I do hope that he finds some success, you know, at Olympiacos. I doubt we'll ever be meeting them anytime soon. So him being successful won't necessarily uh, have an impact on Liverpool. So any player that's going out, I don't have any ill will to any of the players that, that seem to be rumored to be going away from Liverpool. So I just wish them the best as long as they're not playing against Liverpool. Yeah, and the final potential outgoing is uh, on loan, Dominic Solanke to Rangers. I'm going to pose a question to both of you. Um, is, is going to Rangers actually even a remotely useful move for a young player developing right now, considering the level of the Scottish League? Wouldn't you rather just send someone to the Championship or a lower Premier League side? Um, Kev, I'm going to come to you on that one first. I'd always prefer a lower Premier League side, even over the championship. Um, I think you learn how to play a certain way in the championship that doesn't always translate well into the Premier League. Um, it, it will make you tougher. <laughs> and if you can score goals down there, great. But it's a completely different way of playing than playing in the Premier League. <clears throat> Play, going to Rangers, fine. He'll probably score a bunch of goals over there. Um, but the level of that league is, is not great. So the only thing it's going to do is, one, maybe being managed by Steven Gerrard, who's been in and around the way Klopp manages, uh, may be an easier transition. Uh, two, it may re- you know increase Solanke's confidence because he will be able to score goals there. At least I think he, he should be able to score goals there. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see how that develop him, develops him much as a player. I'd like a lower Premier League team for certain or you know a lower team on the continent. Um, just Solanke's an interesting one. He he's obviously talented. He's obviously really hardworking and wants to fight for his place on the pitch. And and it's great to see in a, in a young player. It's also great to see in a, in a young English player, um, especially. Um, I I don't know if we will ever be his level. I don't think we're his level now. Um, but I just hope wherever he goes, he can he has to play every week and. Or he'll just be another one of those, hey, remember that guy? Um, <laughs> which we've, I think we've had too many of. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he'll definitely work on his goal scoring there. But, uh, you know, other than that, I don't think he's going to teach him anything. 
Yeah, to do the same to you. I mean, effectively, do you think it's a remotely useful move? Yeah, I do have to agree with what's being said in the sense of uh, you'd prefer he goes to a Premier League team. And I don't know if it would be indicative of the fact of if, if he goes to a Premier League team, he, he's learning, you know, to play against Premier League teams. He's, he's learning the ins and outs of how to survive, so to speak, as a striker in this league, which would be, you know, invaluable to his um, return when he does eventually come back to Liverpool. My worry would be if he does go out to, let's say, a Rangers or elsewhere, it will be similar to the type of thing we saw with Origi in the sense of if you're going out of England and specifically if you're going out of the Premier League on your loan, I, I don't know if that means you're going to have a, a, a way back into into the club. I mean, if you look at him going to Rangers, uh, as has been said, he definitely will get a lot more chances to score. You know, hopefully he puts those away. He, he'll he be playing in a team, a, a very good point in that, he'll be playing in a team which is managed by a guy who's sort of trained under Klopp, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I like that point that he, he does get that. But I think for me, if he goes to Rangers, I see that more of, of a, us putting him in the shop window for someone else to then look at him and say, oh, wow, he scored 25 goals. Um, maybe we should look at buying him opposed to if he goes to a Premier League team, then I think I'd have more confidence in the fact that we're setting him up to come back and be sort of, you know, a backup striker or whatever uh, the following seasons. Yeah, I just I just don't see the utility of going to Rangers because I just I, I really just think that the Scottish League from whatever I've watched, it's just it, the, the standards just not good enough for him to even for a young player with Premier League aspirations uh, to, to step backwards into, you know, we got, we remember Solanke was in a Premier League side for most of this season and that step backwards into something like the Scottish League, I don't think is, uh, I don't, I don't think it's a particular, I don't think it's a step forward even if there's more playing time associated to it. But, Rangers uh, is a better team, a better move for Steven Gerrard than it is for Dominic Solanke. <laughs> so. I, I have to agree. I have to fully agree there. But, um, I think we've reached just about the end, but I am going to ask one final question. And this is one that I had not released to either of you guys. So it's, so some on the spot thinking. Um, this week, the news is that Paris Saint Germain needs to, uh, probably, probably cut around 60 million euros to, uh, comply with FFP. Uh, so is there a player on their side that you'd go after to, you know, help them with their, help them with their problem? Uh, who, who in that side would you want to buy to think is a good fit for Liverpool? So, Tadeo, I'm going to go to you first. Ooh, yeah, um, I would probably have to go with Julian Draxler. I think he's a player who he hasn't necessarily, you know, reached the levels that PSG were were expecting from him. He he does turn up every now and then, but I think they were expecting a lot more from him. So, if I if if I had to pick one, obviously one that's reasonable, I'm I'm not going to pick a Neymar or something like that. I do think Julian Draxler, he's a player that Klopp's looked at a, a lot over his career. Klopp has tried to get him to, to the clubs that he's been at. He also tried to get him to Liverpool at one point in time. Um, I think he, he, he would be a player that would be quite useful whether starting or rotation. I see it sort of as a squad game now. Putting a Julian Draxler in our squad would really help make sure that whoever, you know, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, the level of play and the level of technique and the level of quality in our team wouldn't drop. So in that sense, I, I think he, he would be the one I'd pick. And Kev, how about you? 
Uh, there's a ton of ta- ton of talent on that team. Uh, Hatem Benarfa. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'd go. Yeah, Draxler's probably the, the. I would say the most likely. Obviously, there's you know, Rabiot is a player we could use. Marquinhos is a player we could definitely use. Thiago Silva. The list goes on. Um, I think Draxler is actually could be gettable. But the problem with him is is the wage demands, and which is the which is why we didn't sign him last time, supposedly. Um, you know, I mean, I've always rated Javier Pastore. I don't know if he fits in our team, um, but yeah, I'd have to agree with Draxler. I don't know. Um, now, as we Tadi was saying before, it's about uh, we kind of concentrate too much on where players fit into a starting eleven. Uh, if Draxler's coming, he has to know that certain players are going to start and certain players won't. And I don't know if he will be one that starts, but that being said, he can play in a couple of positions and there will be plenty of games for everybody. If we're still in four competitions, you know, long into the season. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I'd say, I'd say Draxler, if we can't, you know, go get one of their super superstars. Yeah. See, for me, there was three players I thought of that were kind of, I think the answers cause they had actually kind of fit with our needs. Draxler was one of them. Um, Goncalo Guedes was the, was one of, was one of them. And, uh, Adrian Rabio. Personally, my choice would be Rabio, just cause I think that our midfield still needs people who can really control the pace of a game better. But Draxler also would work because he could play all three positions across the front line. And that is something we absolutely and desperately need. Um, that said, I think we've come to the end of this week's show. Um, uh, we'd like to thank our guest, Kev. Um, Tadiwa and I will be back to you at some point next week. Uh, hopefully there's, there's a bit more, uh, you know, Liverpool link news to talk about, but, uh, well, thank you guys for listening and, uh, we'll, we'll be back at you soon. Network.